Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's um, Thursday now in Cholamoid. And uh, I'm going to try to do the Parsha this week, which obviously means the uh, Kriyas Yamsip we're going to be reading on the seventh day of Pesach is the anniversary of the splitting of the Red Sea. <coughs> Parsha Vishal, so let's take a look at that. Today's podcast is being sponsored um, by Bissal Stefanski because he's a yard safe for his brother, he says. Arya Leib, Miyasacher Mayor, Bonshuishal Pesach, unfortunately died from an illness at the age of 42. And he told me that his brother was a Talmud Chachman, a businessman, very sensitive to unfortunate people, went out of his way to do chesed. That goes to the heart of what I talk about today. That actually gave me an idea. The description of his brother, the Shem Shemaliyah, is actually what stimulated me what to talk about in the Parsha that we all know so well, the Kriyas Yamsa. I mean, what's there to mention? But there's always things to mention. I'll tell you what I mean uh, very specifically. The story of the Kriyas Yamsu uh, has all kind of parts. And to me, sitting here today, the psychological is so interesting. Uh, Paro let the Jews go. Well, it turns out he didn't exactly let him go, did he? By Yugad Lamelech Mitzrayim Kibarach Ha'om, by Yafech Lavav Paro Bavada Belom, by Yemra Mazos Asinu Ki Shilach Yisrael Meavdeinu. I think that's how it goes. Now, um, what's going on over here? Um... When you read the story, Stamazoi, so it's amazing. It's uh, For a historian, it's wonderful. Historians are humanists. You understand what I'm saying? Humanists. What does it mean, humanist? You study the human being. Matter of fact, history is one of the best uh, studies of the human being because it shows you what people did and the extremes of which they're capable, even if they make no sense. See, a science person will say there are rules out there and uh, you can't violate those rules. You can't violate the gravity or something like that. You know what I mean? But when it comes to people, there's no cautious. A person can do anything. The bravest person can become a coward. The biggest coward can become brave. The biggest miser can turn out once in a while to be uh, generous and vice versa. How do you know? History shows you what happens. Look at Polonia. Look at Polonia. Look at this country and that country. Uh, you can't ask questions. Kasha for mice, as they say, if it happened. That's why history is so interesting. You see, a country couldn't be so stupid as to do this. I'll show you this country and that country and the other one that did all kinds of stupid things and ended in their self-destruction. <clears throat> you understand? <clears throat> Even though when it, it made no sense. And so how could Paro, for example, you know, if it was a high school kid, you say, once he was busted by 10 plagues, how could he make the same mistake to go after the Jews again? Then you learn your lesson. It's not Kedai. Uh, it's like the United States wanting to reinvade Vietnam. No, we have... We did that once. Didn't work. We're glad we're out of there. You do understand? Use common sense. Here you're Egypt, and I understand that Pharaoh had a slave system. All the countries did, including the Jews later. And slavery is an economic institution. It's there to make money, you know. That's what it's all about. Not there just to have fun beating up people. It's there to make money. And slavery does work, believe you me. Matter of fact, I've said a thousand times. We live in a slave world today. 
The, the, the food you're eating and the shoes you're wearing are built by slave labor. They don't call it that, but they have people working in third world countries for a penny a week, you know. So that Lamaise is like a slave labor. Okay? Now, um, and I don't see anybody going, woo, boo. Now, hold on for a second. Uh, so the, the Egyptians had a slave system. Then this guy Moshe shows up and start wrecking the economy. You get it? Dom, Spardea, Keen, and Marv, and so forth. It mess up the economy. I mean, after all, if the animals all die, then there's no transportation, for example. If it's a locust plague and a barod and things like hail, it's no agriculture. And Egypt was ancient headquarters of growing food, you know? So, Pharaoh's CPAs and business accountants came to him, we are told, and they said, you know, write it off. Get it? Walk away. Declare chapter 11. The, the, the Jewish slavery did not work. For whatever reason, you understand? Hey, they have a God, they have a Moshe, he's a magician. Doesn't matter. We're talking to you, bottom line. We're your accountants. We're your money guys. The numbers don't lie. And if the economy is benefiting every year by the Jewish slave labor, I'm just to make up a number. By a billion dollars a year, we're showing you right now, between the dumps right there and the Kim and the Euro, you're already losing a billion. And pretty soon you're going to lose two billion. And so you're you're out of pocket. You understand? That's why it says, "An Mosa is a lonel mokesh shalachas on the shim." A term dedicated to Gilad Mitzrayim, the the magicians and the accountants, the economic people said, "Let him go." So uh, the truth of the matter is like this: Paro should have said, "Listen, it was that's a bad investment." You know, it's a real bummer. It is embarrassing, no question about it. I understand that it really offended everything about him, but like every other country, you walk away from it. What happened? the day the Jews left. Now, let's say um, you and I are now in Cholomoy. That's why I'm talking about this. We say, Well, you're also that you went through not only the Yitzhak but the week following it, because we have in the Torah a holiday called Pesach, which involves a Cholomoy, and a last day, according to the Torah, you know, one day, a last day. So in other words, the story of Pesach is not over, although they didn't know when they left Egypt yet, but the story of Pesach is not over until the Kriyas Yamsev. So, let's say, for example, Rashi talks about it. Let's say um, Pesach this year was a Saturday night and Sunday. So Sunday was the first day of Pesach. On Sunday, the Jews left. Right? Uh, you know, uh, the Jews left at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Right? The Seder and the Makas Bechorus was Saturday night. And Sunday, they left. So Sunday, we're told, was one day. Monday was two days, and Tuesday was three days. And according to the story that you find in Chazal, Pyro's an octoring, you know, people to, to see if they're going to come back or not. And when he found they're not coming back by Sunday, so Sunday to Monday to Tuesday. So by Wednesday, the fourth day, Pharaoh got the word that the Jews are not returning. He got angry, and he assembled an army, and on Thursday and Friday, chased after him. That's, that's the way, more or less, the Chazal say it. There's, I don't want to go into details about it. It's not important for my purposes. So, if you and I were living at that time, so, uh, you know, we'd be wandering through the desert right now of Egypt. We'd be fablunging, right? As God said to uh, Moshe in this week's parasha, the Yashuvi Yachnu Lufnei Piachiros Beimigdal Beneyom uh, in order, so I want you to walk around like you're for a Blungeon, God says to Moshe. 
in order of Yomar Parle of Nesrael, Nebuchadnezzar Boris, Sagarlam and Midbar. So that Parle will think that you're lost and he'll chase after you. So, you know, in retrospect, we all know that God was setting Pharaoh up for a fall. But I'm trying to analyze this. What kind of a fall was it exactly? What what happened? Because how could somebody return to a, a bad investment? It's like a guy was told by his accountants, this business is not going anywhere. You have to declare chapter 11 because it's the wrong location and the wrong customer base and this, and that, and the other. And then after declaring chapter 11, the guy <laughs> starts up a new business on the same spot. It doesn't happen like that, right? And it's true that some business people make a mistake to get emotionally invested in a particular business, has their name, has their parents' name, something like that. As a result, they lose money uh, and, and, and it hits them in the pocket. But eventually... Once they listen to reason and the dollar signs of their money managers, then they don't go and reopen the store in the same spot again. And yet Pyro goes and chases the Jews again. Aren't you afraid you'll get dumped right at the kingdom? You get another maka or two or three? How can you do that? You know what I'm saying? How can you do that? That's the fascinating thing of the humanists, of the historians. You see, people are capable of the most remarkable folly, the march of folly, uh, even though, you know, your logic tells you one thing, but your emotion can tell the other, and here the emotions took over Pharaoh, and this is something that historians know about. My current bathroom reading is the uh, Ian Toll series on the Pacific War, you know, with the Japs, and, uh, you know, he's, and he's mine, and very closely, he's a good writer, uh, Toll, and um, it is very interesting, the Japanese in 1941, when they were deciding to go to war against America, I mean, some of their top guys said like this, here are the numbers we cannot win. Here are the numbers we cannot win. <laughs> you understand? We can produce so and so many planes and so and so many ships, and the Americans can do 10 times as much once they crank up the economy. We simply cannot win. And they did it anyway. How do you commit your... And they got nuked. How do you commit a country to a gigantic project like a war when you don't have to? Knowing L'Chakila, it's not really possible for you to win. It, it's amazing, you see? But, but so you say no normal country does that. Sometimes history shows countries do crazy things, right? Then we analyze why it happened. Uh, so anyway, here you have that story for this week's, uh, you know, Shvishal Pesach. So Paro, um, now listen closely. We see from here something very interesting, but it works on multiple levels. Paro didn't want to give in. The country was wrecked. The economy was ruined. And then the Jews leave. Now, when the Jews left, no, it was Sunday. So by Sunday evening, for example, when the last Jews were out of Egypt, uh, according to the story, what should the attitude of Pharaoh and the Egyptians been? The answer is, this was a bummer. It was a bad parsha. It's over. We move on. The economy has to be now like Biden, you know, infrastructure. Get it? We have to raise taxes and recreate the infrastructure. Between the Kinim, the Arv, the Debra, the the Bar, the Arv, the Chayshech, you know what I'm saying? Between all that, there's plenty to work on for national recovery package. Egypt can handle it. And by the way, Egypt did handle it. We know historically, we don't know when the, exactly the exodus from Egypt was and all the archaeology business, putting that question aside. But Egypt recovered. The Hainu, they became an empire again. So the answer is, Stuff was, people had died, and money was lost, and things were ruined, and then they rebuilt. 
And what they should have done is like this. They say, listen, you know, we, we had a bad group, these Jews. Now they're gone. We didn't want to discuss how it happened. We're not going to go and cause over embarrassing things to Egypt and the gods and all the rest of it. Just move on. Move on. If you want an example from Jewish history, what did the Jews do after Shabtai Tzvi? They said, what a bummer. We made a mistake. Move on. Let's not talk about it. Just move on. <laughs> right? That is the normal way it is in life. You have no choice. Instead, Paro went back and chased the Jews. So this, this is crazy. So what here you see, now I'm going by Pashup Shah, what here you see that um, Paro was so into not letting the slaves go, because I tell you again, after one plague after another, he wouldn't give in. He hardened his heart or God hardened his heart. It's, it's, it's quite a uh, psychological story. That even at the end, at the Makas Bechoros, when Paro said, get out of here, he meant, get out of here and worship your God for three days and come back. You know what I'm saying? I don't think most people usually understand this. You can leave. Now, there is a Chazal or two that says, But that's a medrash. The Pashim Shad is, that Paro, as we see from this story of, of Shvi Shal Pesach, now Paro said, all right, I didn't want to even let you go for three days with your cattle and everything, but damn your eyes, all of you, and go and then come back. And of course, most, and and um, and the Jews barred the, the took the gold and silver. As soon as he saw they're not coming back, he's going after them. Now, that means even when he gave him permission to leave, it was Al-Tanai, you know what I'm saying? Al-Tanai. Which is remarkable. Uh, and once he saw the Jews are not coming back, then he got angry and chased them. Why didn't he say, listen, these Jews have forced me to give so and so many concessions. It's better not to tangle with them. But he didn't. Now, how does that happen? How does that happen? It's if you got the milk, the posse tells you, by you got the milk, Mitzrayim Kiborachah Om, by Yehofech Levi Parva Vodavela Om, by Yom Ramazos Asinu Kishilach Nisrami Avdeno. The simple surface Pashab Shad is that was told to the king of Egypt that they're not coming back, Kiborachah Om. And once he heard that they're not coming back, by Yehofech Levi Parva Om, then he completely changed his attitude. And you know, what, is it, what attitude did he change? His willingness to let them go bechlal even for three days, and he says mazosasinu kishlachnis romedino. What a mistake we meant we made. We only let them go for three days, and it turns out they were lying. Now, by the way, even if they were lying, which is a whole story by itself, why did Hashem arrange matters in such a day, way that Moshe should always go and say we don't want to go for three days? Here, Mefarshim tried to get out of it, but the plain shot is he lied to him. I got no problem with that. Why do I have no problem with that? You crushed me. You killed my children. You threw the babies in the water. You screwed me over a hundred thousand times. And now you're saying, oh, you lied to me? You know, suppose a guy lied on his passport to, to escape from Hitler. The Germans are going to say, oh, you broke the law? Hop damn bud. You know what I mean? What you, know? You, you don't deserve any, uh, what's the right word? You don't deserve any uh, respect. You know? But anyway, that's the story that happened. He chased after him. Now, the Pusik is always a fascinating one. And it, and it uh, in my mind, and it always leaves, what shall I say, you know, uh, questions, very interesting questions about the exact nature of the story that we think we know so well. So the first two times it says Ha'om, and the third time it says Yisrael. Now, I mentioned before, I'm sure I mentioned earlier podcasts, because I remember this, my Rashi Rabbi Rudiman many years ago said something over that I don't know why it sticks in my mind, 
And he said from Yisrael Salanter. And uh, very briefly, because I don't want to repeat something that I'm certain that I said before. Very briefly, you know, Ha'om would be Klal Yisrael, and, uh, Yisrael, and the word Yisrael would refer to Shevet Levi. And so at the very beginning, the Egyptians had never enslaved the tribe of Levi, <clears throat> for whatever reason, from a simple political Marxist shot, Marxist shot, the answer is easy. The Levites were the Frumis. They're the ones who told the slaves, don't rebel, don't leave. Wait, one day God will send a savior, pie in the sky. And uh, until then, just be obedient slaves. As far as the Egyptians are concerned, they didn't believe this. You understand? They didn't believe that. So good. Let these Levites, these Levium, circulate as the clergy among the Hamunam, the way the white masters allowed a certain amount of Christianity among the Negro slaves that were in the South 100 years ago, 150 years ago. And the idea was just keep them docile and subservient and uh, wait for pie in the sky. Now, what Paro did not count on was that these Levim were telling the truth. And one day a savior would take a show up. And one day they would leave Biyad Rama, you know. And when that happened, Paro was like shocked. So it's a nice word from Yisrael Salanter. But you got a Melchim Sayon Kibar Ha'am. Paro heard that even the Hamon Am, which was very docile and subservient, and accustomed to the slave way of thinking, which usually you don't run away, they left. He had a change of heart towards the people. Meaning, he started to rethink the whole thing. What did we do wrong? What a mistake we made that we allowed the Levim in the first place to um, depart from us. I mean, never to be slaves in the first place and to keep the hope alive among the people. We thought the hope that they were spreading among the people was fairy tales. And now it turns out it was true. There really would be a savior named Moshe one day. And there really would be a, a miraculous exodus from Egypt. And then he got angry, and then he chased the Jews. That's a nice word by itself. If you want to tell her a nice shot on Shavishal Pesach, then that's a good one. But I wanted to do beyond that, if, if, if possible. And uh, because it's just interesting to me, you know, what is the meaning by Havak of Alpar El Ha'om and Shilach Nes Yisrael may have One Now, I told you, this being done for a yard if somebody was a Baal Chesed. I'll tell you where I'm coming with this. One of the most remarkable parts of the story is the Eir of Rav. Okay, we're told when they left Egypt in the last parasha, but they left with an Eir of Rav. Now, what is the definition of the word Eir Rav? It's not so pushish. There are two Mahalaks, one of which is very well known, one of which is not so well known. Okay? The one that's very well known is that these were the Goyim who went along with the Jews, which I'll talk about in a second. The other one, which you'll be surprised to hear, is mentioned from time to time in Medish Rabbah, and they understand the A of Rav as the, uh, the, the the money and the cattle that they took from Egypt, not referring to people. Because the word Eir of Rav is, is not possible in exact translation. A Rev Rav. Right? A Rev Rav. <laughs> what does A Rev mean in Hebrew? You know, it's not a translatable word. So simply, it sounds like a mixture or this, that, and the other. We don't know. Right, and uh, I have in front of me a medrash where he's trying to, the the medrash in its way is trying to understand what caused Pharaoh's change of heart, and the medrash, which I think is anachronistic, but nevertheless is very interesting. Uh, there's a lot that could be spoken about this medrash, and and this is one opinion of many, a lot of different opinions in the Chazal of what is it that caused Pharaoh to change his heart, 
And the answer would be that he saw that he was now losing the Jewish contribution to the economy. Okay? Here we have the interesting notion that not all the Jews worked as slaves in the slave mine, but some of them had middle-level and upper-level positions in the society. Was this exactly so? I mean, there's no mention of it, let's put it that way, in the Chumash, Kenzai, I have reason I think they wrote it, but very briefly, uh, it says, uh, so it gives a whole thing like a guy who says, I just lost a valuable piece of real estate, uh, how could I give that up? When, when Paro, I'm reading the Medrash now, when Paro let the Jews go, he thought he's, he, they're not worth anything. And according to this, his money managers then told him, you made a mistake. So this is the opposite of the Pashim Shad. The Pashim Shad is the money guys told him, let him go. And that's what the Pashim says elsewhere. But this is a matter, so you can twist it any way you want. And I mean that. So according to this angle, just the money that they took with them out of Egypt is an irreparable loss for the economy. We got to get it back. So you see, the era of Rav refers to the Bizo, the money that they took out of Egypt. Okay? Rechush Rav. Era Rav be Rechush Rav. You're letting a gifted population depart the country, which is making a, a very important contribution to the economy. There were many Ashiram Hoybahem, there were many capitalists among the Jews. Now, how the heck did a slave become a cap? It's possible, right? I, I'll repeat what I said before. There's no reference to this in the Chumash that I can see. But nevertheless, it's totally possible, even within the context of a slave society, slave economy, that a clever slave can rise and become rich. Joseph did it. He was a slave. I'm going to be clear about that, right? Yosef, when he became the viceroy, he was still the evid of the Potiphar, maybe until Paro, you know, appointed him viceroy and, you know, married the guy's daughter. Uh, but he, up to that moment, he was a slave. So, uh, you're losing a lot of capitalists, a lot of smart people, a lot of talented artisans, and so forth. And also, so then, when Paro heard this, he never thought about this economic loss, and then he went nuts, and uh, then this this triggered him chasing after the Jews. Like I say, that's a certain angle. But usually, we understand the word Eir Rav. So that's interesting, because I don't think most of you know that sometimes the word, and I just read a medrash, is a chazal, that sometimes the word Eir Rav is understood to refer to the money. money. But usually, the Eir Rav is understood to be the Goyim who came along with the Jews. Now, who are these people? I don't know. The Pashib shot would go like this. This is my understanding. And then I'll tell you how in Jewish thought it's traditionally understood. The Pashib shot goes to my mind like this. Egypt was a slave country. Every country was. Slavery is part of the old world. Um, the Egyptian economy, which is built around the Nile and the agriculture, because the Nile provides the water, is almost ideal in many respects for a slave labor force. There were a ton of slaves in Egypt building a country. You know, contrary to popular belief, the Jews didn't build the pyramids or any of that kind of stuff. They had a ton of other geisha slaves. So, uh, being a slave is a bummer. That was who you were. Now, the Jews were one group among the slave force. You understand what I'm saying? 
There was this type of slaves and that type of slaves and another type of slaves. One of them was the Jews, Klai Yisro. Now, um, the whole story of Pesach is that God didn't free the slaves of Egypt. The others, he remained, he let them remain as slaves. Only one particular group, the Jews, were taken out. So contrary to the Charlton Heston movie and all the other propaganda, Pesach is not a holiday of freedom in the universal sense. Uh, you know, like the Obama Seder, like the, uh, what's called, the Biden Seder at the White House. It's not a freedom narrative. It's actually almost an anti-freedom narrative in the sense that it's a very particularistic and chauvinistic national uh, kind of uh, narrative. Bene- Moses does not go to Pharaoh and say, let the slaves free. But Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, Bene Bechur Yisrael. <laughs> Completely different. You can keep all the slaves you want, but a certain group, they're my chevron, I want them out. Okay? And Paro says no, but and, and eventually he has to say yes. You hear what I just said? It, it's a little bit like, um, I always like to use this metaphor, very recently they took the Ethiopian Jews and flew them to Israel in a whole bunch of different mivtsaim um, and so forth in the 1980s and early 90s. What You know, the like Red Sea Resort, that kind of thing. What exactly happened? You had a ton of African, black African running away from Ethiopia and Somalia and other countries because it's terrible over there. They end up in these huge, sprawling um, refugee camps in the Sudan. The Israelis went secretly and located which one of these people was Ethiopian Jews, and they pulled them out. <coughs> so it's Echemir Mishnayim Mishpacha. The truck comes, the Mossad truck comes in the middle of the night to a camp with tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands <coughs> of refugees who are having a hell of a time because they, you know, just ran away from their home country and they're starving and, uh, you know, trying to do the refugee food. It's very hard. And the Israelis come secretly at night and they say, you and you and you and you. Echad me'ir This one, this one, this one, this one. They come with me to come in a truck and they get the heck out of there they fly them to Israel, however they got them over there. What happened to all the others? That's not fair. All these people were refugees. And you pick Yechidim? Why? Because they're Jewish? It's not fair. Now Israel said like this, it's fair for us. We care about our own. You take care of your own. Get it? If we regard them as Jewish, we take care of our own. So the whole project of the Ethiopian Jews was B'ni B'chor Yisrael, like Moses and Pharaoh. You keep the other refugees, they can stay like that forever as far as I'm concerned. It's not my problem. These Jews are my problem. Moshe is saying, so God is saying, I have something specific. B'nai Avram, Yitzhi, Yaakov, you come, the rest of you can stay or make it on your own. Oh, interesting. So in other words, uh, uh, Moshe was saying to Paro, look, I'm not telling you to get rid of all your slaves. That's your business. We're not here actually to interfere in the uh, life of Egypt or the economy of Egypt. You guys work it on your own or don't. To hell with you all. To hell with you all. But we went out. Okay? Now, of course, Paro said no, and then happened that he made him say yes. So when, so what does this mean? Usually Egypt was a closed society. Um, the borders were closed and all that sort of thing. You can't run a slave country without having the borders closed and controlled by police and customs and access and people running around to make sure slaves don't run away and all that sort of thing. Here, by the Makas Bechoros, all of a sudden the system collapsed. Right? The whole Egypt said, get out of here. So for five minutes, the borders are open. Because of the Jews, the five minutes, the borders are open. The police aren't there. 
the country is uh, shocked from Makas Bacharas. Even Paro in pajamas in the middle of the night says go. And so it's possible to leave. A lot of guys say like this, I'm out of here, man. I don't want to be a slave. I'm out of here. I don't blame them. So they're not leaving because they're enchanted with the Torah and all that. They don't know any of that stuff. Why would they? The Jews didn't have it either. They're leaving because it's possible to leave. You understand? So if I was a guy, right, let's say, for example, again, I'm making up. Let's say I was Ethiopian or a Libyan or a Syrian who got stuck because I was captured in a war or something like that in Egypt, working on some plantation. And now I see for whatever, for the next 24 hours, the police aren't there, the army isn't there, the master is, is going crazy, the Bukharas are dying, the whole place is full of, the economy is wrecked, and for five minutes it's possible to leave, then get out of there, go, and join the Jews. You see? Now this is why it's slowly small, at least some of them, many and most of them, and they got out. You know, a lot of people, let's put it this way, if you're a Soviet Jew and you're living 1945, 1946, when the, um, they liberated the concentration camps and then all the peoples of Europe started moving back to where they lived in the first place, there was a huge population. People were on the roads going back and forth, forth and back. It was possible then to get the heck out of Stalin, right? Many Rabbanim and people like that in 45, 46, while the borders were fluid, while there was no control, you could go and come as you wish, they did. Those who didn't, when they made the Iron Curtain, all of a sudden you're stuck for the rest of your life under Stalin, under the communists. <coughs> this would be your Eirav. Now, I don't know how many there were. If you go by different Chazals, you can look it up, you, you'd be amazed. They talk about um, half uh, a quarter of a million, 100,000, 350,000, a quarter of a million, a third of a million, a lot of people. That's a lot of slaves. By the way, this happened in American history, if you know your history very well, to the Negro slaves during the American Revolution when the British were fighting the Americans in the South. You know, in the southern states, one of the things the British did was they said, in order to screw over the uh, plantation economies, I don't blame them. According to them, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, they're all enemy. So they said, any slave that runs away, we British will make you free. If I were a black slave working for George Washington and working hard, and then I hear the British say, if I run away, they won't send me back, I'm going to run away. What, it's a mitzvah to be a slave for George Washington? It's a mitzvah to be a slave for James Madison and these other guys? It's a slave life. Who wants that? You understand? Know They're just hopping around. That's all. I don't blame them. So that's the Pashim shot of the year of Rav, in which case it becomes very interesting. Because I think, I'm not sure, again, all I can ever do is you know, share what seems to me, uh, you know, and says that this really ticked off Pharaoh. Uh, you could tie it like this. This ticked off Pharaoh. Doesn't that fit well? Power heard that his own people, the Goyim, are leaving. The slaves. Wait a minute, I thought it was only the Jews. What a mistake we meant. Because we let the Jews go. That was a bummer by itself. But they're bringing a tons of guy, a third of a million people possibly, or something like half a million people. That's a serious blow to our workforce. That's a serious blow to our economy. And he would then chase after them to get the air rob back. You understand? So, uh, in which case, the air rob becomes really a very important factor
in the story. And the Chazal says different places, you know, you can't go with Chazal because they're whatever you want, you find they got it to here and there if you know where to look. And, you know, there is a Chazal that says they got, and, and I met, mentioned many times when it says, Red Kishiche Samcha by the story of the Golden Calf. One way of dealing, one way, not the only way, one way of dealing with the story of the Golden Calf is to say, um, what do you call it? Uh, one way of dealing with the story of the Golden Calf is to say that uh, the Jews didn't do it, they erupted it. it. Uh, another way is to say the Jews didn't, get over it. You understand? Another way is to say the Jews did it, get over it. Uh, so according to the Shita that the Gaim did it, they erupted, which, you know, does make sense. Um, so you'll end up saying that Shichei uh, Samcha, that Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, when the Jews are leaving Egypt on Pesach time, don't take these guys with you. I know they want to leave. I understand when they leave. This is not about them. This is not a story of human freedom. And Moshe said, oh, we can be carved them, you know, like a care professional. And Hashem said, okay, you, if you want it, you do it, but it's your responsibility. And then they messed everybody up with the <coughs> golden calf. I repeat, there are other Mahalchim in Chazals that say the Jews did it. Okay? So it's, uh, you know, very uh, flexible how you approach this kind of story. Um, but if what I just said was true and it fits with the Am and Yisrael, then the taking of the Erev Rav along them really blew Pharaoh over and caused him to just lose his uh, sanity and chase after the Jews and get wiped out. <laughs> chase after the Jews and get wiped out. Um, and by the way, you know, the Erev Rav is associated not with the Golden Calf, but with the Bochel and Mishpachosov, you know, that, uh, uh, Whenever there is a school of thought, the Rambam is like this also. Any bad thing you talk about in the Chumash, in the Shmos, by Yigra, by Midbar Dvarim, is the Erev, the, the, the Asapsuv, as the Rambam calls them. <laughs> but Pashim Shad is not the way. The Jews have their own problems. Why am I mentioning all this? Uh, there's so much to talk about, but I don't want to keep you on forever. The Erev Rav became, as you know, a, a major... Um, they're a factor in the in the account, according to this, and um, they do leave Egypt. Power does not capture them. Uh, well, how did they react when they when when when, when um, they joined the Jews? I mean, what's that like? Um, you're just leaving if I was a slave to get the heck out of there, but it turns out you're not necessarily going into a world of hefkeris. Uh, you're going into a different a Jewish world which has its own rules and regulations. Uh, now, I'll tell you where I'm going with this. I'm fascinated. There's a wonderful Abarbanel. When it says, Vayu God Lamelch Mitzrayim, that's what you call a passive verb. It was told to the king of Egypt. You know, as they say jokingly, one should always avoid the passive voices to be avoided at all costs. The problem with using the passive voices, you don't know who the actor is. In other words, who told Paro? Vayu God Lamelch Mitzrayim. It was told to the king of Egypt. Why does it say, Vayagay Shlom? Plony and Plony, Lamelch Mitzrayim. Doesn't tell you who is that told them. Which, by the way, leads some, some, I think it's a little bit, I think Ben Abachai or somebody, to say, but you get Lamelch Mitzrayim, Paro looked at the Brisbane of Asarim and said there's still supposed to be another couple hundred years. You know, um, I get divorced based on the passive voice, Nifal, instead of, well, by Yagate, it's Hafal, right? Hefel and Hafal, you know, the, the tense are all active and passive. Don't tell you who told them, okay? Um, 
And I remember the Bechor Shor says, Masapri Loshan Hara. Oh, what does that mean? But the Barbano is really fantastic. He says like this, the Barbano, Vayuga Lamelech Mitzrayim, Kitsas Ha'erev Rav Sha'olitam. Some of the Rav, they ran away with the Jews. Now, I repeat, the Jews left on Sunday, Let's assuming this year is the template. So they ran away on Sunday, and they were there on Monday. By Tuesday, they've had it. They're going back to being slave in Egypt. Shetzas Erevav Olitom. Part of the Erevav, not all, who left, got disillusioned with the Jewish experience. Nafsham Kotza, Bemidbar, Baosan Hamasos, Hamuatos, Veshub Mitzrayimov. And they got sick and tired of the short journeys. And I guess they wanted to leave the country and just run away straight to Israel, to Canaan, get the heck out of Egypt. And then they find their own life on their own. In other words, if I, I don't blame them. If I were a slave, a guy, I joined the Jews, get out of the country, and then I go back to my own country. Let's say, for example, I was from Greece. I was captured in a war, and now I'm a slave in Egypt. And now the Jews got five minutes to leave the country. I'll leave with them. I'll go to the, to the first uh, port, you know, outside of Egypt, first country, and go back to Greece. It turns out it wasn't like that. The Jews left, but they didn't go out of the country. They left back into Egypt, as we know. That's the whole story, as we all know, of the seventh day of Pesach. That, uh, you know, they went the wrong direction, and therefore Pyro said, oh, they're lost. I can go catch them and kill them, or return them. So these slaves, they said, well, this is not going the way we expected it. Plus, I would say also, they thought they're going for a life of Hefkeris. Avdab Hefkerinichle. These people were used to Shrikhale Prisale, you know, like the governor says. They lived a very loose life. All of a sudden, B'nai Yisrael Yotzin Briyad Ramah. We're told, which means it was weapons. You know, they went out like Titi, you know. Uh, each guy had a, had a bazooka, had a howitzer. They're ready to go, they're ready to fight, right? Um, and they were organized according to the Shvatim, meaning Moshe, one of the things he did, not the only thing, was to set up a regime and organized. And then all of a sudden it turns out I haven't run away from Egypt to a life where I can be hefkeristic stamazai. I, I ran away from a life of Shibut de Paro now to a life of Shibut Shibut to Judaism. I don't like that. <laughs> right? I had a better time being a slave to Paro and enjoying at least the pluses of slave life which is the 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 Gilarai, the Shri Adam, you know, all that stuff. And so Kitsas, the Barbino says, ran back and they say, hey, the Jews are not coming back. Um, they're leaving. And number two, uh, therefore blanch it. And that's what leads Pharaoh to chase them because they're Barak Ha'om, you know. Uh, that would support what I said. I think it's a fascinating uh, a Barbino, very typical uh, of his kind of a approach. Uh, so what happens? He goes chase after him, and of course, Pyro gets wiped out, as we know. Ever since then, the era of Rav becomes a very interesting theme in Jewish thought. Uh, it's, it, it goes to a great length in the Zohar and the Kabbalistic literature. And the most interesting part to me is, and the Vilna Gon writes about this in the Tikkuni Zohar, Chodosh, and so forth. And what they do is they go to great descriptions who's the era of Rav. Meaning, Today, I'm talking to you, you're talking to me. Do you know, do I know who we come from? Are any of us descendants from the Air of Rao? I mean, I like to think not. I'm a Kohen. What I mean Kohen means, I'm a Kohen, my name is Katz. As far as I know, I'm a Kohen. But nobody, nobody in the world, 
despite what they say, can literally trace yourself back with documents to your ancient coin. Nobody knows today. They can't prove it at all. They can only go by Mesorahs and things like that. You know, somebody told you, you don't, but you don't have any proof that you're Jewish. Now, um, uh, that means they are mixed together with the Jews, it seems. Uh, in other words, I'm raising a good question. Jews wandered for 40 years in the desert. The whole generation died out, but their kids made it to Israel. What happened today, Rav? Nobody says they were wiped out in the desert and left no children. So they probably just mixed together with the Jews or something like that. This is the attitude of the Zohar and the Kabbalah. They mix with the Jews, and therefore people around us, some of us are descended from regular Jewish backgrounds. Some from Gerim, which is a different thing altogether, Gerim Sedeks. I'm not talking about that. Right? That's that's not what I'm talking about at all. And some are from the Erev So how do you know who's the Erev So it's really interesting. The Kabbalah says, you know, you have like certain tests. Okay? Certain tests. And basically, are you, uh, are you a rich, arrogant type of person that, uh, you know, that dominates the Tzibor and so forth? Um... It's, it's described at length in the Zohar, but just read you a passage from the Vilna Gon. They're all over the place. Notice everybody, every shoal. And the Jews pick up their bad habits. And the Erev today, the Vilna Gon says, they're the Ashirim Hagavsanim. They're the arrogant rich. Right? They're the, they're the type of Jews who use their money to dominate everybody else. Isn't that amazing? This is the Vilnagon writing. They're the people who, as we would say today, are in the richest of Pesach hotels. You understand? The road they, they go after Tivus uh, and the consumerist lifestyle, which, let's be honest about it has swept American Jewry, the Jews around the world. And we were living in the era of consumerism. We are living in the era, Rod Fi Machar Ataiva. Haim Rosha Yisrael Begolus, Begozlim La'aniya Yisrael. I think these are very interesting expressions. The Vilnagon is writing. These are Rosha Gozlim La'aniya Yisrael. I remember a couple years ago, I saw one of the scandals, one of the innumerable scandals. They find the internet, some uh, Rabbonim somewhere in New York, they stole millions from like a, a Down Syndrome school or something like that, you know? They will not, they're very lazy when it comes to giving chesed and tzedakah with Bali Torah. Okay? And the Vilna Gon goes on to say like this, you'll find the remez to them when you find the encounter of Yaakov and Esau, Jacob and Esau, where it says, You know what I'm talking about. When Yaakov approaches Esau, so it says, I, We all remember that. So the Vilna Gon says, That's the symbolism of putting the Shvachas via the Henry Shonor, that the Taka came from Shifchas when they left Egypt later on. It was a hint to that. Uh, the masses of Klai Yisrael 
who are under the control and under the influence of the Arab Rav. These are our bad Midos, okay? This is a Kiddush Rishon mentality. This is from the Arab Rav. Bez Rachel, Bez Yosef, Achronim, Heim Atamidich Chachamim, Shem Shfalim Mikulam, Benikar Mal Shem Rachel, Sheakaris Abayas, Beheim Atamidich Chachamim, Mavuzim Bagalusa Basra. They're the ones that will be treated with, with uh, uh, you know, uh, disrespect. In the final goals, Benifron, Benairav Rav, and so on and so forth, right? He, uh, he, he got, I mean, th- these uh, Lashonas are very interesting. Uh, now, and I repeat, it's a Grol. Now, the Chazinim have the same thing, and the Lubavitches, I understand, and I'm not any expert, um, what do you call it? Have a whole Torah, a whole uh, um, doctrine, um, I think in the Igeris HaKodesh or somewhere, where uh, about the Erev and all that, and, and their Lashonas, but the, the Vilna Gaon is pretty direct, I just read. And as best as, if I understand this correctly, <coughs> and this I'll conclude with, if I understand this correctly, <coughs> we're left with like a... Um, a litmus test. I mean, how do you know if you come from the Erev or not? So, uh, if you are, if you have money, but you don't act arrogantly, and you are the opposite of Misrapim Lasas Gemilas Chasadim Tzedakim Bali Torah, if you're the opposite of Mazalzim Batalmid Chachamim, and so on and so forth, then you're not from the <laughs> You get it? Thus, if you're in a position to do something. And you do the right thing, right? Then that's a sign you're not from the Arab. I I I I consider that to be a very interesting insight, uh, which is why I said before when Stefanski told me this in memory of a brother I did not know him, but if it's somebody who uh, was was uh, not poor, but on the other hand was very sensitive to unfortunate people, you know, person of Baal Chesed, that's that's a sign it's not from the Arab. Isn't that interesting? That's a sign it's not from the Arab. Now, um, not to be uh, self-serving and all the rest of it, the type of people that sponsor and support, you know, worthy causes, you know, for whatever reason, uh, it could be a, a tzedakah or a podcast or anything like that, you know, really, it's a be- it's, it's, you, by definition, it's a better type of person. Because the person has the sensitivity, they care about this, there's something in them that's saying, why should I spend a penny on anything, you know, right? Uh, it's the opposite. And, um, you end up saying, okay, so these are people that left Egypt, not with Arab. <laughs> you know uh, these are people that left Egypt, and therefore they will probably feel a bigger, um, what's the right, uh, passion when it comes to Shal Pesach. And uh, I think if you, I'm suggesting this year, if you uh, l- analyze and look at the story of Bashal that we all know so well, and, you know, Ozzy Asher Moshe of Yisrael, Let's put it this way: the Bnei Yisrael are singing, or the Arab singing, um, and we know some Jews left and they're worshiping an idol in the middle of the Kriyas Yamsuf at the Pesel Micha, uh, which I imagine many of you are familiar with. That uh, if you analyze it from that angle, you'll have a fresh look at the story that we think we know so well. But any story that's in the Torah, especially a dramatic story like this, which goes into uh, psychology and human folly, and in the words of the Abarbanel, uh, the Pharaoh was like a Caleb Shav Akio, like a dog and will, will then vomit out food and then go eat it again. How could you make the same dumb mistake? Uh, this aspect of uh, human uh, nature that you just let your emotions dominate you uh, to the complete, 
contradiction of your logical sense. Uh, this, uh, this is, in my mind, at least this year, the most fascinating part of the story to consider in this week's um, Torah reading. With that, I wish you all a, uh, a, a good moment. Remember then, according to what I just said, the Jews left on Sunday, and according to Pharaoh, they got Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. By Tuesday, they should already be coming back. By Tuesday, it becomes clear they're not going back. By Wednesday, Pharaoh gets the word that they're not coming back, and he starts to mobilize an army. And on Thursday and Friday, so today's Thursday, Thursday and Friday is when he chases after the Jews. He catches up with them on Saturday, uh, and Saturday night he gets wiped out. So it's not exactly the way we have it this year, but it's it's like a day off. But there's a guru, are you, that talks about the discrepancy of the day, um, if, you're, if you're entering that sort of thing. And uh, I'll conclude by giving a shout-out to Ira Freeman down in Florida, who's having his birthday today. And uh, so I wish him Mazel Tov, and with that, I wish you a good moment. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.